Now, what do you do in that situation? Do you keep going? Do you close your eyes? Do you double down? Do you speed up and say, well, we've already invested five or six hours. We've just got to keep going. No, why? Because you're going the wrong way. And if you're going the wrong way, the best, most effective, most efficient thing you can do is turn around. It's a leadership U-turn. Well, hey there, if we have not yet met, my name is Alex Judd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, as a business, we just help impact-driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. And this podcast is just another iteration of how that mission comes to life. One of the principles that we believe, teach, and practice at Path for Growth is that there's not value in experience, there's value in evaluated experience. And this is referring to the habit and discipline of reflection. And I'm just a big believer in the fact that the greatest growth often occurs when we take the time to intentionally reflect on the experiences that we've had. And so therefore, it's incumbent upon us as leaders to not just have experience, but to look back at those experiences, whether they were wins or losses, and say, what happened there? What did I learn from that? What are the principles that are embedded in that experience that I can take with me moving forward, not just for myself, but to be shared with others? And it's out of this principle that I've over the past several years engaged in a specific reflective question that has been so helpful for me and so insightful for my leadership journey moving forward. And here's the question that I've asked myself is, what are the lessons that I'm learning from the strongest leaders that I know? I'm going to say it again. What are the lessons that I'm learning from the strongest leaders that I know? And that's a question that I've asked myself for years now, and it aligns so much with just the fact that I believe that questions are constraints and that constraints are the breeding ground for creativity, right? So if we just ask a broad question or no question at all, we have all these thoughts uh, kind of swimming around in our head, but then I say, okay, then whenever I apply a constraint to those thoughts and I say, what are the lessons? So we're focusing specifically on lessons that I've learned from the strongest leaders that I know. Uh, and, well, then I've got to think about, okay, well, who are the strongest leaders that I know? And what are the experiences that I've had from them? What are the things that I've observed from them? What are the things that I've gained by osmosis from them? What are the things they've literally directly taught me? And then out of that, I've got to say, okay, what are the lessons from that? What are the principles that are embedded in that? And so questions are constraints and constraints are the breeding ground for creativity. And, and it's such a cool thing because we start to identify and then document some things that otherwise we wouldn't be able to mine the gold of. This is the value of reflection. This is the value of evaluating your experience. And so what I wanted to share with you today is just five lessons that I wrote down recently from some of the strongest leaders that I know. And as I kind of already alluded to, these are lessons that I've either observed There are lessons that I've listened to. There's lessons that I've been taught directly. There's lessons that I've gained by working alongside leaders. There's lessons that I've learned from employing leaders. There's lessons that I've learned from coaching leaders. And truly, whenever I ask this question, oftentimes I'll sit down and I'll say, let's think of 10 lessons. And I'll end up with a list of like 90 things. It's just crazy, right? But what I wanted to share with you today is just five. Five that have really stood out to me recently. And just like most of what we teach at Path for Growth, my goal here in sharing these with with you is, is not to revolutionize, but rather to remind. These lessons represent a return to the fundamentals of what it means to be an effective leader. But then my side objective for this episode is not that you would just 
hear my lessons, but rather that you would reflect on your own lessons. What are the lessons that you've learned from the strongest leaders that you know? Because this is a practice that you can engage in. You can spend some time deliberately reflecting on the principles that you see being played out from the people that you're surrounded by every single day. And remember, the principle that this is rooted in is that there's not value in experience, there's value in evaluated experience. And so with that, I just want to give you five. Here's the first one. Don't let your mood dictate your effort. I used to have this misconception, misperception, and misguided belief. And, and here, here's what it sounded like. It sounded like, when I find the right job, when I get in the right career, when I truly step into my calling, I'm always going to feel like it. That every day, every month, every year, I'm going to wake up with energy and vitality. And every task that I engage in that day, I'm just going to float to with this sense of joy and vibrancy and enthusiasm. And I'm always going to feel like what I'm doing because when I feel like what I'm doing, that means I'm in my calling. And if I don't feel like it, then that means it's not mine to do because it's not my calling. And then I observed some of the most energetic engaged, proactive, responsible leaders that I know. And you know what I observed about them? There were days they didn't feel like it. But the thing that stood out about them is that when they were confronted with those feelings, they did not change their effort. Amateurs allow their feelings to drive their effort. Professionals put in the effort regardless of what they feel. Listen to me. I don't care if you are in the thing that you were put on this earth to do literally perfectly. There will be days where you don't feel like it. Now, what am I saying? Am I saying you should just ignore those feelings? No. I'm saying you should acknowledge those feelings because that's called being emotionally healthy and stable. But then don't allow those feelings to create your plan. You create your plan. And so the most professional leaders I know don't allow their feelings to dictate their effort. Their work ethic, their attitude, their approach, it's consistent. And although their emotions may be a roller coaster, they're going to keep showing up. And this ties directly into a principle that we talk about all the time is that consistency compounds. Most people and most leaders don't get to experience the fruit of that principle because their emotions get in the way of their consistency. There will be days where you don't feel like it. That doesn't mean that the work is wrong. That simply means that the work is work. But it's work that needs to be done and you are here to do it. And so... Let's not allow our feelings or our mood to dictate our effort. That brings us to number two. Be yourself. People can smell a fake from a mile away. I've shared this on this podcast before. Uh, I've been really kind of obsessed with the topic of effective communication for a very long time. Truly, in second grade, I remember my mom was folding laundry. She remembers this too. And I looked up at her and I said, Mom, when I grow up, I don't want to be a motivational speaker, but I'd love to be a motivational teacher one day. <laughs> it's like, what on earth? What kind of second grader says that? Just ridiculous. But I tell you that just to tell you that the topic of effective and intentional communication has either been at the back of my head 
head or the forefront of my mind for a very, very long time. And as a result, I've spent a lot of time observing from and learning from and listening to really, really effective communicators. And truly, in high school and in college, I started just looking for and seeking out some of the most effective communicators on the planet. And a lot of times I started listening to people that were pastors because a pastor is someone that is incredibly practiced at taking big topics and communicating them in a way that can be easily understood and practiced in like under 45 minutes and they're doing it every single week. And so I found that this was a great area to start learning effective communication. And and so I observed people like T.D. Jakes and Tim Keller and Priscilla Shirer and Stephen Furtick and Andy Stanley and Bill Hybels and Craig Rochelle and John Mark Comer and Max Lucado. And it was as I was listening to all of these different pastors and Bible teachers that I then became exposed to the world of motivational and personal growth and leadership teaching and found people like Zig Ziglar and John Maxwell and Tony Robbins and Brene Brown and Dave Ramsey. And it was one day that I was reflecting just on all the people that I really love learning from and watching and observing and listening to and modeling as communicators that I realized something. I I looked at this list of people and I was like, oh my gosh, they're all so different. Like truly, if you think about that list of people, think about just a couple of them, T.D. Jakes, Tim Keller, Tony Robbins, Brene Brown. Think about how radically different those four people are. And maybe you don't know all those four people. I'll just tell you, they are so radically different. Like truly, if you tried to sit down and make a list of the things they have in common, it's like, I I, I can't figure it out. I, I really don't know. There's not that many things they have in common. The list of differences that they have from each other is so long, but there is one thing they have in common and that's that their communication is so effective. And I don't mean effective just like through the lens of good, I mean like it creates a lasting and meaningful effect. And truly thousands of people gather to sit and listen and remain so absolutely attentive and engaged through long messages and then leave the message and do something about it and then share what they learned. And so their their communication is radically effective, even though it's so different. And so I started to ask, okay, what is at least one thing that they do have in common that is creating that outcome? And here's what I landed on. They're really, really, really good at being themselves. You get the sense that whenever you walk through that whole litany of names that I walked through, that those people, those professionals in the arena of communication and by extension leadership, they're not spending much time thinking about how other people would communicate the topics that they've set out to communicate. Now, certainly, they are informed by best principles and best practices for effective and intentional communication. There's no doubt about that. But they're not spending hardly any time on how other people are doing things. They're spending more time on how they're uniquely called and qualified to do the thing. And here's what I want to tell you about leadership. The best leaders that I know spend way less time thinking about how other leaders would do the thing, and they spend more time thinking about how they're uniquely called and qualified to do the thing. Listen to me real quick. The expert online isn't leading your business. You are leading your business, and your business and your team and your customers are best served when you spend less time trying to be someone else and more time trying to be yourself. When you spend more time trying to be about the business of maximizing what God gave you to do. And so what does this mean you have to do? Well, it means you have to take stock. It means you have to take inventory. 
What are your natural personality predispositions? What are your passions? What's your wiring? What's your gifts? What's your leadership style? What are your strengths? What's the way that you communicate? And and you really have to get to know yourself a little bit. But most leaders aren't willing to do the hard work of getting to know themselves, and therefore they settle for just leading like someone else. You are the leader of this business. You are the leader of this team. You are the leader of this enterprise and this organization, not someone else. And so therefore, it would be wise to get to know yourself because if you can get to know yourself, you can step into who you were created to be and you can actually start to lead the way that you were called and qualified to lead. And and the associated lesson with this is that the alternative, acting like someone else, it's remarkably outrageously ineffective. And there's a multitude of reasons why that's the case. But here's one of them. People can smell a fake from a mile away. I don't even think we realize right now as a public how honed our BS radar is today. Like, truly, I think we have this collective ability because we're just scammed so often and sold so often. There's so many people with inauthentic and disingenuous motives out there that we're constantly just barraged with messages that we have to figure out how to separate the wheat from the chaff and how to find the stuff that's actually real and good and true. And so, therefore, we've got practice as identifying when someone is not being themselves. We can smell it from a mile away. And the minute we even get the hint that someone is being inauthentic. We refuse to follow that person. And so therefore, you have a vested interest as a leader if you want people to follow you to figure out who you are and then to be that person. And what would you rather do? This is the journey that you get to be on. And so spend less time wishing you were someone else, wishing you were a different type of leader, wishing you had a different set of personality predispositions and wirings and strengths. Spend more time owning the ones God gave you and stepping into them and actually using them. Think about this. You've been given a gift, right? You've been given several gifts, actually. When you give someone a gift on Christmas or maybe for their birthday, what's the best way that they can say thank you? Sure, they can say thank you. Maybe they can even go above and beyond and write you a thank you letter. What's the best way that they can say thank you? Well, I'll tell you what. Like, I I recently gave someone a sweater, right? And I gave them a really nice sweater, and and I, I felt like they liked it, and they said thank you, and I was so glad that they said thank you. But you know what the greatest expression of gratitude was? Was whenever they used the sweater. Whenever I saw them with the sweater on and I said, ah, that's what thank you looks like. God gave you gifts and they're way bigger and better than a sweater. And how do you say thank you? Well, you can say thank you, sure. You can even write thank you. But the greatest gratitude that you could ever express for the gifts that he's given you is use them as yourself not as someone else. So be yourself because people can smell a fake from a mile away. Let's move on to number three. It's never the wrong time to do the right thing. Listen to me. There is nothing, and I really believe this, there is nothing more unproductive than a violated conscience. And so this could be taken as a really simple principle. Do the right thing. And and I think that that is a simple principle, but don't allow its simplicity to detract from its profundity. As a leader, you are uniquely responsible for being integrated. 
What does integrated mean? Well, it's tied into that word integrity, and integrity has the same root as the word integer. What does integer mean? Well, maybe you can think back to elementary school math, and you can remember that an integer is a whole number. It doesn't have fractions. It's, it doesn't have decimals. It's whole. It's the same through and through. And so the person of integrity is a person that's integrated. They're whole. They're the same through and through. And whenever you do the wrong thing and then become aware of it, that is a fracture, right? It splinters you. It fractions you. You are no longer whole. Now, what am I saying here? Am I saying that you need to be perfect? No, because that's an unrealistic expectation of you. My expectation is not that you're going to be perfect. In fact, my expectation is that you're going to be radically, consistently imperfect. My expectation of you as a leader is that you're going to own your imperfection, And man, this is gutsy. That's why most people don't do it. But here's the illustration that I always think about whenever I come to this principle and I face the reality of this principle personally. I think that I'm in Austin, Texas, right? Hook them horns, baby. Let's go. I'm in Austin, Texas. And and I'm going on a road trip with some friends of mine. And we're going to go down to Cancun, Mexico. I've never actually heard of someone driving from Austin to Cancun, Mexico. But we're going to do it, right? We're going to do a beach vacation. And we're going to do it as a road trip. And and so we're going to go to Cancun, Mexico. And we've got all the snacks. We get in the car. We've got a killer playlist going. And we're just driving. And man, you're the one driving. You're just zoned out, right? And, And you're just so into the road trip. And you're into the conversation. And you're just so thrilled to be going to the beach and you're driving, you just can't wait to get to Mexico. And you're a handful of hours in, maybe five or six hours in, and you see this sign on the side of the highway that says, welcome to Oklahoma. Now, what do you do in that situation? Do you keep going? Do you close your eyes? Do you double down? Do you speed up and say, well, we've already invested five or six hours. We've just got to keep going. No, why? Because you're going the wrong way. And if you're going the wrong way, the best, most effective, most efficient thing you can do is turn around. Sometimes the most productive thing you can do as a leader is turn around and say, we are going the wrong way. It's a leadership U-turn. And I would even argue that it is irresponsible to double down on a direction that you're going if you know that it's wrong. And it's not only unhelpful and of disservice to your team, it's unhelpful and of disservice to you. Because the person who intentionally practices and applies themselves to the wrong direction, whether because it's immoral or maybe it's moral, but it's unwise and they know it's unwise, That person is going to be the one that wakes up at three o'clock in the morning and can't fall back asleep. Why? Because they're fractured. Because they are practicing bad habits and they know they are deliberately and intentionally acting against their own best interest and by extension, the best interest of others. This ties into two spiritual words that just because they're spiritual, I don't want us to miss how practical they are. It's the word confession and it's the word repentance. So confession is whenever we acknowledge that what we did was wrong. And again, it can be wrong morally, 
But oftentimes we can do things that are moral, but just because they're moral, we can say, man, that was dumb. That was a mistake. That was unwise. And unwise is still wrong. It's not immoral, but it's still wrong. And it's still not the best effort that we could possibly give to ourselves and give to our team. And so therefore we still need to turn around. And so the first thing we've got to do is we've got to confess it. And what is confession actually? It's ownership. Right? We talk all the time about ownership mentality. What is ownership mentality as it relates to mistakes, imperfections, immorality, things like that? It's confession. It's having the guts to acknowledge your imperfection in the most specific form possible. And I think that confession should occur privately. And if you're like me, some of the most healing confession that you can do is the confession that you bring before God. But I'll tell you, more often than not, my experience is that the confession that I do before God in prayer is only half of what is required of me. And this is what I want you to hear that you're not going to hear on many other leadership podcasts. Confession before God is good. Confession before God and others is way better. And I'm not just saying it's way better because I want you to feel shame in front of others. No, I want the opposite of that. I want you to experience grace. I want you to be able to be real. But what I see a lot of times is I see leaders and I coincide with leaders. And if I'm not careful, I can subscribe to this belief system myself where I confess the thing before God because I feel like I can be real before God. But man, whenever I go to my team or whenever I go to my friends or whenever I go to my closest relationships, I can't be real with those people. And therefore, I can't actually confess to them where I'm wrong, where I'm imperfect or where I'm off. And as a result, my team never sees my imperfections. My, my relationships never see my imperfections. And I always feel like, man, I can be real before God, but whenever I come to others, I have to put on this armor and I can't be who I actually am. And man, you want to talk about shame? No good. It will drive you in a toxic downward spiral that will bury you. It will crush you because you won't be able to carry the weight of the guilt of living as a bifurcated personality who knows certain things have happened and occurred and gone on in the past, but is unable to even acknowledge them publicly in the present. I would way rather you literally get it off your chest and confess, but, but confession is only part of it. Okay. So, so, so what's the other piece? There's confession. And then there's another word, repentance and repentance comes from the Hebrew word teshuva. What does teshuva mean? Well, it goes back to our illustration. It means to turn around and not turn around like a little bit. It means like turn around 180 degrees. And so this is a very biblical term, but it's also a very practical term. Once you find out you're doing the wrong thing, you own it through confession before God and before others. But then once you own it, it's not enough just to own it. Because if you're the leader that owns your mistakes, but then keeps making them, you think people are going to continue following you? No, you got to own it. And then you got to turn around. You got to say, we're in Oklahoma. We don't want to be in Oklahoma. We got to start heading for Mexico. And it's going to take way longer and it's going to take way more effort. And we're going to essentially waste the time that we've spent, but it's way better than continuing to go the wrong direction. Teshuva, repentance, 180 degrees. And I think one more thing that I want to say about this is that so often people apply themselves to a routine and a rhythm of repentance in isolation. 
not helpful. Again, this is why confession as a collective act within your leadership is really, really helpful. Number one, because it allows people to see your imperfections. But then number two, you get to team up with people and say, we're not, it's not only going to be me turning this thing around. It's going to be we turning this thing around. And we're going to move in a different direction together. But what I don't want you to do is I don't want you to over-spiritualize this because I'm using language like confession and repentance. What I'm really talking about here is that if we ever feel like we're moving in the wrong direction, we've got to name that. We've got to vocalize it openly. And then we've got to have the guts to ask the question, what would it look like to make a U-turn? It's never the wrong time to do the right thing. Okay, let's go to number four. Number four is take the risk of truly caring. This is tough because some of you have experienced the cost of truly caring. What is the cost of truly caring? Rejection, failure, betrayal. Because to care is a very vulnerable thing. It's to step out, chase a vision, create, and then look at the world and say, I made this. And whenever you look at the world and you create something original and you say, I made this, the world has the opportunity to look back at you and say, we don't like it or we don't want it or it's not good. And so therefore, if you hear that enough, um, or if you've just got this narrative in your head that all those messages are crippling and crushing, what's the alternative? Well, you're just going to not take the risk of caring and you're going to live this sheltered and quiet lifestyle that never strives beyond mediocrity. And you know, I once heard that mediocrity is rooted in the word, I think it's mediocrous, it means halfway up the mountain. It means that you stop at the halfway point. It means that you never truly do what you set out to do. You never fulfilled the deepest desires and longings of your heart because you stopped at halfway. Why? Because you didn't fully care. So probably one of the questions that we should be asking is what is the risk of not caring? Well, not caring. Well, what is not caring? It's apathy. And what does apathy lead to? Stagnancy. And what does stagnancy lead to? Toxicity. And what does toxicity prolonged over time lead to? Death. And so, yeah, that's a little bit heavy, but I hope it scares you into caring right? I hope that you say, yeah, I should be afraid of caring because I could be rejected. But what's the greater fear, the fear of rejection or the fear of death? The fear of becoming so complacent that my life doesn't even look like life anymore. And so, yeah, to do the work that you are called and qualified to do, to be yourself, to step into the leader that you were created to be, to take territory, to launch new ideas, to create new relationships, to move forward as a business and a leader and a family as a person, it's going to require you to care because a posture of passivity and apathy won't move the needle on these things. It just won't. And so it's going to require you to care. And the risk of caring is rejection, it's failure, it's betrayal. But but man, are you more afraid of those things or are you more afraid of stagnancy and complacency and death? And so what does that mean? It means you don't deny the risk. It means you don't ignore the risk. It means you own the risk and you move forward courageously. And hopefully you move forward courageously with other people. And what, would it, what will it feel like? It will feel like you are out on a limb 
It will feel like you are making it up as you go. It will feel like you're constantly doing things where you're asking the question, will this work or will this not? But I'll tell you, this is one of the lessons I've learned from the greatest and strongest leaders I've worked with, worked for, employed, from the ones that I've gotten to interview for this podcast and the Entree Leadership Podcast. They all have one thing in common. They're the strongest leaders I know because they cared. They weren't strong because of an absence of failure. They were strong because of their ability to deal with failure, because of their ability to overcome failure, because of their ability to be victorious in spite of their failures. They cared. And because they cared so deeply, they were willing to weather the cost associated with leading. Take the risk of truly caring. Okay, let's go to number five. Don't let the people around you settle. This is a lesson that I learned from a mentor of mine that one time we sat down and I thought things were going pretty well in my job. This was several years ago. And he looked at me and he said, I think other people would say you're doing a good job. But for me, I'm severely unimpressed. And he said, because I didn't bring you here to do a good job. I brought you here to be excellent. And I think you are giving it just what it takes to get by. And you've got so much more than what it takes to get by. And so if you just want to achieve what others call good, then I'm cool with you just leveling off. Just know that I'm not going to invest really deeply into this relationship any longer. But he said, if you want to push it, if you want to go to a higher gear, if you want to take this to another level, then you're going to have to give me more because I know it's in you. That was one of the most challenging conversations I've ever had. It was also one of the most life-giving conversations I've ever had. Because listen to the principle behind this. Good leaders hold people accountable to the standard of others. Great leaders hold people accountable to the standard of their potential. And that's what that mentor and leader of mine did. He saw something in me that was untapped and underutilized. And he said, I'm not okay with that sitting dormant. And if you are, then I'm not going to support you. But he said, if you want to go dig into that mine and go through the dirt to search for the gold that is the potential that's within you, if you want to play all out on this thing, if you really want to commit, if you want to actually be invested well, then that's a journey that I'll be on board for and that I'll hold you accountable to and that I'll support you in. What would it look like for you to be that type of leader for other people? You got to really care. You got to really deeply invest in relationship with that people. But in the process of deeply investing in relationship with those people, you get to know them and then you get to see their potential and then you get to hold them accountable to the standard of that potential and say, I don't just want you to be good relative to others' performance. I want you to be the best that you can be because that's me leading in the best interest of you. It's offering you the truth in service of love. Man, I believe that the highest calling of a leader is to unleash the best in others. And what does that look like? By telling people, I think you've got best in you and we're just not tapping into it yet, but we could. That's leadership. And so don't allow the people around you to settle. But here's what's really interesting about this. If you want to be a leader that doesn't allow the people around them to settle, the first thing you've got to do is refuse to allow yourself to settle. And there's a lot of leaders that this is why they can't with credibility hold other people accountable to the standard of their potential because they themselves are not willing to be held accountable by themselves to the standard of their potential. 
So first, apply yourself to this standard, and it's crazy. When you apply yourself to a really, really freaking high standard, you know what people almost can't help but do? Raise their standards as well. And so don't let yourself settle. And then in the process of not allowing yourself to settle, don't let the people around you settle. Guard a high standard in service of the best interest of other people. Okay. So let's review the five lessons. Don't let your mood dictate your effort. Be yourself because people can smell a fake from a mile away. It's never the wrong time to do the right thing. Take the risk of truly caring and don't let the people around you settle. Now remember, there's two reasons why we wanted to focus on these lessons. Number one is because I think they're valuable lessons from some of the strongest leaders that I know that may not revolutionize our leadership, but hopefully they remind us of some of the most fundamental principles related to our leadership. But then beyond that, I don't just want you to learn from the lessons I've learned. I want you to learn from the lessons that you've learned. And this will require you to engage in the practice of reflection, So maybe sit down and at some point this week, spend 30 minutes just jotting down on your phone or on a sheet of paper and asking yourself the question, who are the strongest leaders that I know and what are some of the lessons that they've taught me? And don't worry about it sounding pretty. Don't worry about it being fancy. You don't have to go record a podcast tomorrow on this thing. Just spend some time reflecting because there's not value in experience, there's value in evaluated experience. And reflection is essential for growth. Y'all, I hope that this was valuable for you today. If you want to get more content like this, especially the principle-based content that was woven throughout this episode, we send an email every Wednesday called Worth It Wednesday. We call it that because I think most email isn't worth it, and so therefore we try to send one a week that is. Every week I write a principle worth learning, a question worth answering, and a recommendation worth taking. We also send a video associated with the principle that explains it in a little bit greater detail. You can go through the whole email in under three minutes. So many of you are already part of this growing community. If you would like to join the Worth It Wednesday email list, you can sign up at the link that's in the show notes or at pathforgrowth.com. Y'all know this. We're rooting for you. We want to see you win. Remember, my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.